Hello, and welcome to Ice Age Prep Reads, Season 3 Interlude. Yes, we're going to do another interlude. Uh, we're taking a break from Seed of Knowledge, Stone of Plenty. I know we haven't recorded an episode in a while, um, and I really appreciate you who all have still been listening or re-listening, whatever the case may be, but the reason for this interlude is I just received uh, the newest book by Ben Davidson, called The Next End of the World, The Rebirth Rebirth of Catastrophism. And it's a short book. It's a fantastic book. Um, And I want to get this into your audio ears as soon as possible. So we're going to read it. Six chapters long, not very long. We're going to go over the first chapter in this episode of the interlude for season three. When we're done with this, we'll get back to the... Seed of Knowledge, Stone of Plenty, which I think is an amazing book, as all of the books that we've done so far are. So with that said, let's get right into it. The Next End of the World, The Rebirth of Catastrophism by Ben Davidson, Chapter 1. Catastrophism History Catastrophism was nearly dead. The fire was nearly out. Over the last few decades, the few researchers who kept a dimming ember from extinguishing have watched one of the most discussed scientific topics in the world become nearly taboo in academic literature and the coverage of the topic marred by fanatical claims and characters. Catastrophism is the study of horrendous events that punctuate the normally calm and benign earth we have known all of our lives. The field has endured an incredible resurgence since 2018 with new revelations about past events, new scientific discoveries, and the long-needed coalescence of many scientific fields required to understand Earth's catastrophe cycle. The work of modern catastrophists stoking these dying embers deserves to be collected and honored as well. Today, we can finally answer a challenge levied over 100 years ago to explain all the evidence associated with these catastrophes. The technology needed to track the next one is here now, and it is telling a terrifying story of the near-term future. Recurring Disaster Earth enjoys long periods of time bolded by the slow crawl of wind, water, and known geological processes. These errors are punctuated by a cyclical catastrophe. There are three critical aspects to the field of catastrophism, analyzing the evidence of the past events, trying to explain their mechanism of operation, and trying to predict the next one. The evidence of cyclical disasters comes in many forms, myth, sediment, fossils, ice cores, and more. Most religions and many ancient cultures describe catastrophe in the past, the future, or both. In Peru, there is a story of the sun standing still in the sky, and in southern South America we find myths of the sun setting in the wrong place. On the other side of the world, Malaysian and Sumatran stories describe a long night they feared would never end. The Bible, Egyptian legends, and other stories from antiquity describe a solar event, often involving a black sun. Furthermore, while numerous geological features are clearly the result of slow wearing and tectonic motion, there are surge deposits filled with the bones of thousands of animals, suggesting that for some areas there is an instant devastation. Amidst sloth-like accumulation of sediments over eons, we find rapid deposits and incredible morphological changes in those layers. Mammoths were found frozen so quickly 
that the food in their mouths and stomachs had not decayed. Cyclical deluges are repeatedly suggested by the evidence, an invasion of the land by the oceans, inspiring questions of earth tilting on its axis, and other seemingly impossible geological phenomena. Is it a coincidence that the Younger Dryas plummet into a deep ice age occurred around the same time as the Gothenburg magnetic excursion? Why are there impactor microtectites from that period and surge deposits in the Americas? What caused the worst period in the late quaternary megafaunal extinctions across the globe? Why would thriving civilizations in Bolivia suddenly halt work on massive construction projects around 11,000 to 12,000 years ago? What happened to cause evidence of rapid death in bones and muck to be piled within a mountain in the Perjack Marsh in Australia? How else but via great waves would amazing amounts of shells and boulders reach such great elevations on upslopes from Wales to the Jura Mountains? How did granite blocks come to be on top of the mountains there and near Death Valley? The Pampian mud deposit could only have been caused by a terrible wave. Such great waves would also deposit dozens of feet of sediment and sand across large areas, likely covering up more evidence that is accessible to scientists today. Other areas would be scoured clean. The deep sea canyons running down from continental shelves present even further evidence of oceanic washover. Mainstream science tells us these are caused by turbidity currents, and this is truly only a satisfactory explanation for small coastal formations. The only existing videos of in-situ turbidity currents, there aren't many, uh, show a slow churning that deposits as much as it carves, and only in sand and softer material not through rock. There is no model, theory, or existing claim that the turbidity currents could produce the vast formations running off the east coast of South America or into the northeast Indian Ocean, scientists largely ignore the features. These canyons are likely runoff features from the last time the oceans were torn from their beds and then drained back into them. How do we explain all the evidence? The invasion by the ocean, the instant freezing, the stories of strange celestial events during cataclysms, and even the evidence of impactors, geomagnetic changes, and strange isotopes found in the cataclysm deposits all must be explained. That is the challenge to expand all to explain all the evidence. Foundations. When W.B. Walker wrote Cyclical Delusions in 1871, the field was established with well-known characters. George Cuvier, the man responsible for comparative anatomy and the recognition of extinctions as a real natural phenomenon, built on the works of Dolomieu and Deluc in the 1700s and early 1800s, bringing the field of catastrophism from infancy to major recognition. By the mid-1800s, the evidence was beginning to clearly show that a recurring deluge was responsible for a considerable portion of stratigraphic stratigraphic, and fossilized evidence discovered around the world. Upon meeting with opposition from Western geologists, Cuvier found assistance in the work of Walker in the process of laying out the evidence of disaster and the casual hypothesis for it. Catastrophism as we know it was born. 
It was, in fact, just another rebirth of a millennium's old practice of describing the beginning and ending of worlds. While both Cuvier and Walker made errors in these hypotheses, they were playing a rigged game. Without all the pieces of the puzzle, and without all the tools in their tool belt. Walker's version upon modern review is at times horrendously racist and difficult to get through for that reason. Everything from the 1700s and 1800s has enough errors based on modern knowledge to easily allow a skeptic to put the works down and try to gain nothing further from them. Nevertheless, they have merit, and they manage to lay the foundation for Emanuel Velikovsky and his version of the disaster story in the 1900s. His story is an unlikely theory, but one with many gems in the roughs, and which remains alive today on the periphery of the fire thanks to David Talbot and members of the Thunderbolts project. Walker and Cuvier also laid the foundation for Frank Hibben, who used modern evidence inside their catastrophism models and who repeatedly made the challenge in his works to explain all the evidence. They laid the foundation for Maynard White and Chan Thomas, who would discover so much in the middle of the century that the entire field was intentionally sabotaged, but we'll read more about them, them in the next chapter. Too often the mainstream geologists have been overpowering, with their massive amounts of funding, their support from major institutions, and in some cases, as happened to Hibben, his work supporting the science of these disasters was attacked with relatively baseless accusations of academic fraud. Despite their abject failures, without these characters there would be no catastrophism today. While none of them have answered the call to explain all the evidence and the dark history and future of Earth, it is by following in their footsteps that we see the larger picture. Imminent Concern Earth has magnetic re reversals and magnetic excursions. Reversals include a flip of Earth's magnetic fields after long, hundreds of thousands of years epochs, while excursions are rapid flips and flops back of the magnetic pole. Both events include an intensity minimum during the flip that allows space energy to penetrate into the Earth system. Excursions occur much more frequently than full reversals, somewhere around 10 to 15,000 years apart on average. While some researchers believe the cycle to be relatively exact, everything from 11,500 years by Walker to exactly 12,068 years by Douglas Watt, to 21,000 to 26,000 years the axial apicidal precession catastrophism theory, the geological evidence available today tells a slightly more complex story of the process involved. In modern science, there are some recognized events that paint a scary picture in the near-term future. Excursions have taken place 12 to 13,000 years ago, Gothenburg, 24,000 to 28,000 years ago, Lake Mungo, 33,000 to 37,000 years ago, Mono Lake, 41,000 to 46,000 years ago, Le Champ, 60,000 years ago, Greenland Vostok, and 72,000 years ago, Toba. A rapid look at the most recent events show a 12,000 to 13,000 years between them, meaning that the cycle is approximately due to reset now. While the exact dating of these events has endured considerable disagreement, 
as evidenced by the uncertainty of time in which they are supposed to have occurred, they tell a story of a recurring magnetic change on our planet, one that matches other cycle timelines and the evidence of disaster. The forecast that another event is due soon is based on the historical events, but it is also complemented by what we actually see today. The exact changes in Earth's magnetic field we would expect at the beginning of the next magnetic excursion. The magnetic field strength is weakening, and the magnetic poles are shifting. This ongoing shift has been observed and reported by NASA, the European Space Agency, ESA, the USGS, and others. And yet its significance has been downplayed in popular science media and the most important journals even while world magnetic models would require unplanned updates as the shift accelerates. These unplanned updates were the first ever and were required due to unforeseen motion of the North Magnetic Pole. Specifics of the severity of the disasters and the ongoing magnetic shift will be important topics later in this book. For now, the unwillingness of public science to take the ongoing shift seriously is the impetus to try to understand these events for yourself, including their connection to the cyclical deluges in Earth's catastrophe cycle. Key points. 1. There is evidence of a cyclical disaster of tremendous proportions that punctuates long epochs of geological, geophysical calm. We are due for another disaster event based on the past cycle. The magnetic changes we would expect to see are already taking place and accelerating. Account of Disaster in Myth and Religion Much of catastrophism relies on hard geological evidence. As we recover more of this evidence, we can better understand the other forms of evidence, the legends, myths, accounts and prophecies of our ancestors, seeming to match that physical evidence. The ancient stories combining disasters with the oceans and or the sun are further believable with the new perspective of catastrophe. I can see how Dr. August Dunning looks at ancient stories across the world and has agreed that they are discussing the same terrible global disaster. Dr. Dunning is a good friend in one of the most valuable pieces in the field today. He worked for NASA, JPL, and Caltech and has offered assistance and new ideas in numerous aspects of the catastrophe cycle. He expands on Sumerian tales of the Great Flood and the vast amounts of catastrophism stories provided in Hindu texts by identifying similar ancient corroborating stories from the Book of Joshua, the Scroll of the Upright One, ancient Peruvian and Incan myths, and Native American and Chinese myths. He sees ample evidence to suggest that a series of massive waves overcome the continents, and he also believes that the sun must be involved. The many religions and dead cultures proclaiming to witness or prophesize the stars being hurled from the sky would never mistake asteroids for stars. They may have had a first grade education, but they knew the heavens very well. The stars being flung from their places is literal. It is a reference to the world turning over swaying like a drunkard, tilting and twisting, sending the celestial actors diving wayward in the sky from our ancestors' perspective and adopting new paths across the top of the world. In the practice of Buddhism, there are two main pathways of teaching the end of times. One speaks of the next end of the world and rebirth, 
coming with the return of Buddha, where the oceans will become lower and the returning Buddha's rays will change people. The lowered oceans result from the water stuck on land after the Great Wave and other aspects of the disaster. The other pathway of Buddhist teaching claims there are will be seven stages of the sun's transformation, including several stages of burning. It is called the Sermon of the Seven Suns, and seems to describe a solar flash and eruption. The image here is a symbolic idol piece of this sect. Again, with all the other books that I read, there are very good images. If you can find a copy of this, get one so you can see what he's referring to. Additionally, Islamic Muslim teachings plainly state that the sun will rise in the wrong place on the Day of Judgment, implying the crust tilts or Earth's rotation endures a grand change. This matches stories from South America. Sunnis believe a black cloud will cover the Earth from seeing the sun, parts of the Earth will sink into the sea like Atlantis, and trumpets will sound, as in the Christian faith. These trumpet sounds are likely the resonance of Earth from the magnitude of the event, which we will describe later. In the north mist of Ragnarok, the world is plunged into darkness and cold. The Earth sinks into the roaring ocean as steam rises and the sun blackens. While the Norse mythologies come from the Caucasian peoples, they share the same rebirth aspects, cyclical eras of Earth, that are common in Eastern and South American stories, rather than the end-of-all-things paradigm of most Christian apocalypse beliefs. Zoroastrianism, one of the oldest beliefs in existence, teaches that the sun will be more unseen and spotted. They say the days and year will shorten, and men will become vile and divided against each other and against morality and righteousness. This sentiment, a change in humans, is shared among most serious beliefs regarding the end times, including Christianity. The dark sun and the red moon of Christian stories are shared across numerous ancient cultures and legends, seeming to corroborate their merit. The earth sways like a drunkard in many versions as well. In ancient Manichaeism, an early messianic faith whose two symbols are the cross and the sun, they claim that the light of the sun and moon and stars was recovered out of the world-ending previous darkness, and this current era will end in darkness with demons flying across the heavens. We will see what these demons actually are in chapters 5 and 6. Interestingly, this 3rd century religion predicted the coming of a prophet of Christ on the other side of the world to come around the time Joseph Smith was making this his unheard of and shocking claims of prophecy in the United States. Speaking of Mormons, while in Salt Lake City in 2020, another researcher named Britton Beckham showed me enough quotes from the Mormon doctrines and covenants to convince me that this group has had much of the story of the end as any other religion. The sun, the turning over of the earth, the changes in people, all there. By the way, they believe they are commanded to keep a store of preparatory food and survival items, preferably one year or more. This is excellent advice. And that is the end of chapter one. Hang on tight, folks. This is going to be a blistering read. Uh, and uh, tune in again real soon uh, for chapter two of the season three interlude, The Next End of the World, 
The Rebirth of Catastrophism by Ben Davidson. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next time.